Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports with your host, Rob Elwood. Join us as we open the door and take an unforgettable journey to unlock the full power of sports on and off the field. Listen to personal stories and reflections from incredible leaders who are sure to move and inspire you. So listen and enjoy another episode of Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports. I won the United States Senior Open. I led wire to wire. And millions of people have asked me, was that fun? And I go, the first three days were great. The fourth day was miserable. You know, because I got nowhere to go. I'm leading wire to wire. I have not given up a lead from the first hole that I played the whole week. Well, if you don't win the tournament, you're a bonehead, right? And so Sunday has a whole different feeling and flavor, and it gets more difficult. And so, you know, I had been leading the U.S. Open at Pinehurst the year that Michael Campbell won played with Retief Goosen on Saturday, was two back going into Sunday, shut an 80, right? Well, I'm, I'm standing next to Michael Campbell after he made his putt on the 72nd green. He's the United States Open champion. If I had played the round he had played, I'd have been the United States Open champion, right? Well, that's a miserable experience to go through. But having done that and moved through it, I was able to lead the entire tournament at Inverness when I won in 2011, Without what I did at Pinehurst, I wouldn't have had the benefit of that growth, uh, and, and I wouldn't have won it. Okay, Who Are You Nation? I am extremely honored to introduce our special guest today, Olin Brown. Olin, how are you today? Rob, I'm doing great. Great to be with you. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Owen, I know you are down in Florida right now, but do us a favor. Let us know what you're up to these days. <laughs> I'm down in Florida. I have uh, a week off this week playing the Champions Tour. We just got back from overseas and gearing up. We're right in the heart of our season. Got 10 events left. Gearing up for the final stretch here, uh, heading out early next week and going to do some good work. I'll bet you are. I'll bet you are. How's the season been so far? I would say it's been okay. I'm, I'm 20th on our, on our money list and uh, I've had a couple of good finishes, but it hasn't been uh recently that i played well so uh, you know it's kind of like one of the cycles of the game and turns on a dime so i'm down here trying to figure out how to make that turn and and uh, head out and finish the year strongly that's great and how many years now have you been a professional golfer i turned pro in 1984 and made the tour in 1992 played the hogan tour before that which is now the web.com and i've been playing ever since well really glad to have you on here on and to get us started sometimes we have one sometimes it's maybe a mantra but do you have an inspirational motivational quote anything that you have lived by so far you could reflect back to that really summarizes your journey yeah i think that as it as it applies and pertains to sport in particular um you know everything that that people see nowadays is is the highlight reel and it's the extremes of the highlight, really. It's either the worst of the worst or the best of the best. And the reality is that everybody lives in between that. And so when you see, you know, for example, uh, Bartman in Chicago with, with uh, what was it, Moises Alou going out to make that catch and, and the guy interfered. And, you know, his life has been turned upside down because of something that every single person who, who goes to a ball game would like to do, which is to catch a ball that's hit towards him in the outfield, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an extreme low. And then, and then you see, you know, highlight reels of LeBron James doing this magical stuff that he does, for example, on, on a daily basis and a weekly basis. And, and, you know, most everybody else in the league uh, does that stuff, but they don't do it 
as often or as as dramatically. And so the reality is is that is that everybody lies between the two extremes. And the the more you can keep what you do, for the lack of a better term, uh, to keep to keep the hysteria out of it, mm-hmm. the more success that you're going to have. You know, it's like watching uh, great baseball players, right? Great baseball players go about their business. Derek Jeter hasn't hit for the highest average in his career. Hasn't hit for the most power. Hasn't hit. Uh, uh, the most home runs, uh, you know, isn't the best shortstop that's ever played the position. But you know what? When you when you add up all the things that he does, he's going down as one of the top shortstops in the history of the game. So he's a professional. He's a consummate professional. He goes about his business and he handles his business on a regular basis. And and when you see when you see guys, you know, like uh, I don't know, ten years ago or whatever, that Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, home run run, right. And, you know, we all got sucked in without either knowing what was happening or turning a blind eye to it. And, you know, that was an extreme that that kind of altered the course of baseball. And then other players got involved and, and you know, altered what they were doing to try and catch up to them, and it became a big stink, right? Yeah, it did. So, you know, it's an old cliche, but the tortoise and the hare slow and steady wins the race. And I think that a lot of people who have had success – live by that and you know you take tiger woods in, in my field uh you know tiger made the highlight reels all the time because he's got one foot in and out of a bunker hitting a three iron over a tree well nobody else can hit that shot he hits it on the green ends up making par whereas some other guy might have pitched out but the reality is, is that what got tiger huge success was his ability to eliminate mistakes and you know if he had a two-shot lead on the last hole he laid up off the tee he didn't pull a jean vandeveld and hit it in the water three times or whatever and take a triple bogey to lose the tournament right. he'd lay up with a four iron off the tee and lay up with the next shot hit a wedge on the green make his par make his bogey doesn't matter he still wins the tournament so right. you got to keep things in perspective you know always always no it's well said and i think your advice is great words of wisdom for those already playing those watching as well as those coming up the ranks and it's very easy to get sucked into, as you mentioned, the highlight reel, and of course, then alter your behavior is one way of saying it, based upon what you're seeing. When I, one of the things I loved going to, let's just say, a, a golf tournament or anything where you're actually physically there, you get to see the rest, right? You don't get to just catch up on the highlights, and you really get to see the grit and everything else that's coming out of the athletes and the whole experience. So you put it very, very well. Now. I'm going to bring us back to your childhood, if you don't mind. I know you were back, uh, born back in the Washington, D.C. area. Now, I'm a D.C. native, born and raised. Are you the same? Yes, I am. That's where grew up. Uh, grew up there, went to St. Albans, just like you, and have fond memories of Washington, D.C. I'll bet. Well, there's not a whole lot of us that actually were born there. So do us a favor. Back when you were about pre-high school, what was it like inside the family, school, and then just going out and playing and having fun? Well, you know, I, my memories of Washington aren't so much that because just like most kids, you know, you go somewhere, you go visit your grandparents at summer summer break or whatever, and uh, uh, school was school, and any self-respecting boy really hated school. <laughs> uh, you know, we'd rather be outside, out of doors, doing what we do, and so... Uh, my my recollections of a, uh, of a young of a young guy were upstate New York and um, and you know Massachusetts, which is where my two sets of grandparents were. And those are the times I really remember having fun and being back in in D.C. Man, I was back in school and I was doing the things that we did yeah. in school and and uh, and what I really remember and what I tell kids when I speak to them is is you know it wasn't just about going to school and it wasn't just about playing sports in school but the 
you know, what you get from living in the Washington, D.C. area. I mean, people are amazed when I tell them, oh, yeah, we went to the White House at least once a year on a field trip, or we went to the Library of Congress, or we went to the Museum of Natural History, or we went, you know, here or there. There's so much going on in Washington. It's the hub of, of our country, the political and uh, maybe not economic, because New York is kind of famous for that, but, I mean, the, it, it's the center of, of our universe as Americans. And not only that, but representatives from every single country around the world live in Washington, D.C. So you're exposed to every culture. You're exposed to different kinds of foods. You're exposed to people who have uh, different approaches and different thoughts and views on things, and I think it's a really eclectic and, uh, and uh, kind of cosmopolitan environment that exposes young people at a very early age to a lot of different things. Yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything growing up in that environment. And even though I've moved on into different places, I think you're right. It's just such a, a great place. Now, golf back then, was that popular in the D.C. area? And if so, I'd love to know how you started to get into the sport, as well as other sports that you played at the time in, in high school or right before high school. No, no golf when I was a kid. In fact, my uh, neighbor... Jeremy Symington had golf lessons every Saturday. It cut into our causing trouble on the weekends, and so we <laughs> kind of resented it. As a matter of fact, you know, so the sports that I played were the were the sports that I played at school. You know, football in the fall and baseball in the spring, or or tennis, or you know, basketball in the winter. Uh, we had incredible program. We had an outward bound program at, at St. Albans where we got into whitewater rafting and kayaking and rock climbing and stuff like that. So exposed to a lot of different things, but ultimately, you know, the competitive competitiveness of sports uh intrigued me and uh, i ended up pursuing a career in professional professional sports and uh, you know i've had a had a fun ride yeah if only st Albans had taught us how to invest in a lot of that land where the country clubs are now we'd be doing pretty well on that, Golly, uh, man, you know if you only knew when, if you knew now what you or if you had known then what you know now I mean, I remember going out to where the U.S. Open's been held out and congressional there a few times and thinking it was the journey of my lifetime. And now it's a, what, a 10-minute drive from D.C. when I'm, a, of course, a, a man and not a, a 12-year-old. Only, only, only a 10-minute drive from D.C. when it's not rush hour and then <laughs> it's a horror point. show. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Oh, that's great. So golf. How does golf become a part of your life other than maybe your neighbor there? Summer job summer job working in the bag room caddying that kind of thing and uh and it it hooked me it was it's so difficult it's so complex it's so intricate um and it appealed it appealed to my uh to my nature and i got i started playing golf uh when i was 19 and got heavily involved in it and decided to make a career out of it and I didn't know if it was going to take me to you know competing at a professional level or working in the in the golf business in some other capacity and thankfully it took me to to playing competitively because it's taken me all over the world it's I've met some incredible people I've been part of the Ryder Cup team of you know won tournaments on the tour and the Champions Tour and it's been a very rewarding experience for of oh, 30 years, I guess. Yeah, no, it sure has. It sure has been looking at your your resume here. A lot of success. And as you mentioned, the, the ability just to travel and see new places is always a joy and a privilege, and you've taken full advantage of it. Now, you mentioned a job. Can you give us a, a brief sort of introduction of what you were doing in your job, maybe some stories, something that shed some light on this interest, but also the behind the scenes of how you pick up some of these skills by working, actually, that also applies. Well, I remember to, I, was, yeah. I was working at, uh, at a golf club called New Seabury on Cape Cod, 
typical summer job, right? Mm-hmm. You're in the bag room. You make a minimum wage. Uh, you either have the early shift and you show up at 6 a.m. and you're off at 2, or you take the late shift and you come in 2 to closing or 1 to closing or whatever. And the off time, you can either cause trouble or you can get involved in the game. And uh, the head professional there was a guy named Danny Kuhn and, and his the director of golf, a guy named Guy Tedesco, and they were both great uh, state you know, of Massachusetts golfers. Uh, they had both played professionally for a long time on and off the PGA Tour or whatever. And, and I remember Guy Boros, who won the U.S. Open at the Country Club in, my goodness, the 60, gosh, I can't remember, 60 some, 63, 67, something like that, I can't remember. Okay. Uh, and won other big tournaments on tour. He came and gave a clinic. And his clinic really inspired me to try and get better. And, and, uh, some of the things that, that he said, you know, they didn't hit me directly at the time, but over the years I've reflected on him. Uh, and not only that, he's one of the historical players, you know, he's, he's an international player. His kids all play uh, guy Boros, his son and I have been friends for a long time and competed professionally on the tours. And, and, uh, it's just, it's just the first guy I remember, uh, who really got my attention in the game. And then of course, moving down here to South Florida, you're surrounded by the best golfers in golf. I mean, Jack Nicklaus lives down the street, and Nick Price lives up the street. Greg Norman's here. <laughs> uh, he built the Medalist Golf Club, which is where I'm talking to you uh, from today. And, you know, you get exposed to this stuff, and all this information gets thrown at you. It's like being in Mr. Ruga's English class. <laughs> if you retain if you retain 5% of it, you're 85% ahead of everybody else. You yeah, know what I mean? True. And, uh, and so... So it's one of those kinds of kinds of things where, and, and this is what I also tell kids: you know, if you if you want to learn something, immerse yourself in it. Don't don't read a book about it. Go live it. You want to learn a language? Go to that country. Don't don't try and learn how to speak French by opening a French book. You can't. Yeah. Go to France. Yeah. You, you want to learn Spanish? Go to Spain. Go to South America. You want to learn Chinese? Go to China. It's a pretty simple equation. And and uh, you know if you've read the Talent Code or Outliers, books that I highly recommend. You know, you can learn from people's experience. It takes 10,000 hours. You know, the, these pockets of genius aren't necessarily pockets of genius. People have, have to have an affinity or an aptitude for something, and then they immerse themselves in it, and, and, they, and, they, and it really consumes them. Tiger Woods is consumed with, with surpassing Jack Nicklaus yeah. and his record. Yeah. Uh, Kobe Bryant is consumed with becoming the, the, the winningest player in history, uh, like Michael Jordan was. Yeah. And, and if you look at the elite athlete at any level, they're not, they're not the best. You know, they're not the first guy. Michael Jordan, not the first guy who could jump and shoot and play defense. He just happened to be the best. Yeah. And Jack Nicklaus wasn't the first guy that hit the ball 300 yards. He just happened to be the best. And why is that? Well, he had an aptitude, and he, and he, he developed a way to apply what he, what he was good uh, at doing, and he ended up having a long and storied career. So that's the way it is for lawyers, for doctors, for teachers. God, I mean... Who, who wants to be taught by a rotten teacher? You want to have you want to have a teacher who's passionate, who's committed. Uh, I'll go back to Ferdinand Ruga. You know, yeah. then nobody nobody taught English better than that man right there. Yeah. And it, it, it's just it's just it's something that's in that individual's blood, and you know they make it their life's work. And if it's not if if it's not that way, you're not going to become super accomplished at anything yeah uh, it's, it's amazing how you reflect back on these early young adult childhood memories and and can still apply them to today's mindset and line of thinking i think it's very impressive and it shows how influential 
those folks that uh, you had, we had growing up, can be. It's, a, it's really neat to see it interwoven back as you turn to an adult, professional, a father, everything. That's exactly right. I think it's exactly great. Right. Now, if somebody were to say, hey, Olin, what was the day that it kind of clicked, you know, and it could have been a season, it could have been a week, whatever, but that moment where you look back and you go, yeah, I, I am going to pursue this professionally. This is this is enjoyable. I'm pretty good. Let's call it what it is. If, even if you're a humble person, you look around and you say, okay, I can do this. Was there a, a, a would, what year would you say that would be and, and what kind of got you that momentum to keep going? It's an interesting question because I think it's different for everybody. You know, some people have an epiphany. Some people have a, a long, slow ride, uh, and it's like a roller coaster. You know, they get a long, slow ride to the top, and when they get to the pinnacle of the roller coaster, something dawns on them, you know. But it took all of that, all of that, uh, like, lead-in to make it happen. And, and some people go the other direction. You know, they, they do a slow death, and, it, and they wake up one morning, and they realize that they're not, A, committed, or B, they're, they're not capable of continuing on the same road. So I, I really think, I think it, it matters differently to different people. And, and in my my particular case, uh, I I had a pretty good frame in my mind of what I didn't want to do, and so I wasn't I wasn't particularly inspired. And golf shocked me uh, into into having the kind of commitment to something that that uh, would be very rewarding and you know it, yeah it's a game and a lot of people play it recreation recreationally but it's a cerebral game and it's a it's a it's a tactile you know uh game it, it's not it's not uh it's not a reactive game um although a lot of times you know you re, you do react right but <laughs> it's it's not like it's not like standing at home plate while a pitcher's trying to mow you down with a hundred mile an hour heater uh where, where you just you know you're seeing something and you're somewhere in the recesses of your brain you register whether or not you should swing right mm -hmm. this is different there's premeditation there's strategy there's there's uh stability and there's you know sometimes sometimes i and i tell my son all the time because he plays golf professionally too just because you can doesn't mean you should. You know, there are, you have to rein yourself in a lot of the time. You have to show humility and you have to show purpose and you have to show reason and you have to sometimes go against your emotions, which is a very difficult thing to do. And, you know, it's, uh, that's why you see guys occasionally blow up in sport because they're, they're trying to channel their energies properly and, and they're trying to control what they do and they're trying to, they're trying to overcome the situation. And sometimes the situation is bigger than you are and you snap and uh, you lose your mind temporarily and you can plead temporary insanity maybe but uh so so it's a it's you know it's eternally challenging like that right it's like uh it's like being around a it's like having your wife be smarter than you are that's a good thing right right because you're never bored she's always she always always keeps you on your toes <laughs> i just think it's the, it's the kind of thing that that has lifelong uh legs and that to me has a lot of value that's great yeah, no, it's it's really neat. Now, there's a lot of different styles of, of athletes in, in their various sports. How would you describe yourself as a golfer? Oh, God, I don't know. I've never uh, never even really thought about it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I am what I am. I mm -hmm. uh, I mm -hmm. play golf. I control my ball. I mean, but that's the secret of the game. The ball's the the ball is round, and the ground is uneven. And what you're trying to do is make it go between you and your endpoint in the fewest number of strokes. So 
ideally what you'd like to do is you, you know you'd like to never miss a shot which is impossible <laughs> you'd like to you'd like to dominate a course which is impossible although you can do it occasionally right uh but but, but i guess you know if you were if you were to look at i'm not a hall of famer i started playing later to, uh, by 10 years or so or maybe even 15 than a lot of guys and I, you know i look back on that with regret because i i missed a lot of a lot of uh natural improvement or natural uh development that that a lot of other guys have had the benefit of and uh in that light you know i've had to i've had to make up ground faster and so the flip side of that is that i haven't burnt out either i'm 55 years old and i'm still excited in fact you pulled me off the range today you know i've been practicing it's 95 degrees out there i'm sweating like you like you read about but right. i'm working on trying to get better because i've got a great stretch coming up and i want to go i'm still motivated to play to the to the limit of my abilities and let's face it at 55 your physical abilities become limited uh and each year the window closes just a little bit more in fact Taylor when did an interview just this week talking about that uh and he says he's not he's 69 years old and he says he's not prepared to give up competitively but he, there are days where he can't match his mind and his body, and that frustrates him. So everything is different, and it's a it's a moving platform, and it really keeps your interest, and uh, and that's the challenge of it. I guess I so I guess I would say uh, I try to be a thinking man's golfer, and you know, just like everybody else, I lose my mind occasionally out there. Yeah, of course. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, is that I keep my ball in play, and I, and I hit a lot of fairways, I hit a lot of greens, and when I have a good week all around, I'm going to have a good a good end result and if i if i have one of the components of my game is struggling a little bit i i need to find a way to play around that and if i can't play around that then i'm not going to have a good end result yeah so i mean that's i guess that's one of the things that golf really forces you to do is to deal in the reality of what you're doing yeah and try and overcome whatever shortcomings you have because absolutely nobody and i'm talking about from jack nicholas to tiger woods to you know to the to the hacker the eternal hacker who's shooting 120 Nobody has a handle on it all, all the time. Right, no. Now, it, it is interesting. You say when you start at 19 and maybe you missed a, a decade there of, of learning the game naturally, and I, I'm gonna, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm guessing that that's when, when your body's growing, of course, and you're picking up things as you aren't thinking about them too much even. You're just reacting as an athlete and, and making little fine-tuned adjustments as opposed to building probably – I would I wouldn't say incorrect habits, but habits that you have to now reprogram in in your body. So yeah. if that's is that sound accurate? I you know I think it is pretty accurate. And here's the here's the thing about being let's say you're ten years old, you don't know anything, right? Yep. You're ten years old, and they tell you to run across the street. You run across the street. You know they tell you run run out and catch a pass. You run out and catch a pass. You don't think about what you're doing. <laughs> and the older you get, is when you become more analytical. And so. You know, you miss the instinctive uh, component of the learning process. And you get past that that stage where your brain is in a certain mode. I mean, I've done studies on it for years and years and years. You learn, you learn languages much more efficiently if you start younger, right? Yeah. So you get, you get uh, some guy with a Texas drawl who tries to learn Spanish when he's 40 years old. He's going to have a Spanish with a Texas drawl. <laughs> and it does doesn't sound colloquial it doesn't sound at all native right mm -hmm. but if you if you take if you take a texas kid who's four years old and that kid lives in spain for 10 years that little kid going to speak some pretty good spanish mm -hmm. and so it, it applies to everything which is why 
you know, uh, and your brain's more receptive to certain kinds of learning at different at different stages of life. So languages and math and stuff like that, that's why we get on it early in our education. Well, with sports, you need to do the same thing. On the other hand, if you, if you narrow your focus too much, you become one-dimensional. And I think sports translate one to another. So, you know, you get these great athletes who are tri-sport stars. You don't see it anymore because everybody's such a specialist yeah. uh, anymore. But the bottom line is, is that great athletes are great athletes. And if you give them a ball and tell them, find some way to make this ball do what it's supposed to do, they'll be able to do it. And the younger you get them on that, the better it is for them. Always, always. Now, were your parents involved at all in your, in your golf and your sport? No, not really. My dad, well, my dad played okay. and uh, we played a lot more since, since we've gotten older, but you know, circumstances preclude that from happening when you're younger or whatever. And of we've had a lot of fun playing. My mom played a little bit, Okay. played tennis. She played a lot of tennis. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, in, a, in an athletic family, my mom grew up in, in New England, so she grew up, you know, her her sports were skiing and skating. She was a ski racer and a skater, and played on the boys' hockey team and stuff like that. So I got good athletic genes because, mm-hmm. you know, let's face it, if, you know, if I were uncoordinated, I, I would have had a short career. Right. So I've got some <laughs> some reasonable amount of coordination, and I've been able to translate that into a career in golf. I would say so. Now, how does that compare? Uh, the reason I ask is how does that compare with your own son who – how, how old? Eighteen years old now? Nineteen? No, 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 no. My son is twenty-six. Twenty-six. Oh, yes. yeah. Okay. He's moved. He's <laughs> moved into the professional. He's playing the web.com and PGA Canada, and he's having some success and suffering some growing pains, just like anybody. But you know, he he and I played golf from early on. But you know, to my point about playing other sports, we told our kids that they were going to play whatever sport was offered at school all the way up until they got to high school. And and once they got to the high school. You know, they could specialize if they wanted to, but they still play others. Like my daughter, she was on the soccer team, she was on the golf team, on the tennis team. My son was on the golf team and uh, on the lacrosse team. And so uh, I, I just believe that, yes, you get a jump on your peers if you start playing one sport a lot early on, but you also miss out on a lot of things. You, you miss out on a lot, especially if you're playing an individual sport like golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, you miss out on a lot of the team camaraderie. You miss out on a lot of things that you'll never be able to recover if you don't go ahead and play those. So we encourage our kids to play every single sport as part of a normal, healthy childhood, right? And then when they really found something that they decided they wanted to pursue, if they wanted to do that, great. you know. Mm-hmm. And if not, hey, that's great too. So it just happened to be that my son and I shared this passion for golf and we have a lot of fun with it, but it wasn't the only thing that he ever did. And now he's, you know, as a result of his being a little bit slower developmentally because he played all these other sports. Now he's just getting going with his career, but still he's only 26 years old. So exactly. It's It's really nice to hear that as a parent and as a professional athlete, we have uh, others that come on the show as well and just simply talk about how great it is to go out and perform and compete in all these different sports as you mentioned different coaches different teammates and learning how to become a re- true teammate i'm not taking anything away from the sport of golf but with all these multiple moving parts uh and it's really it's really great to hear that you're a, a big proponent of that especially with your own children like you said i'm sure they made a lot of the choices on their own but it's just it's nice to hear it wasn't being shoved down their their throat so to say now well yeah, go ahead. To that point, you know, Dr. James Andrews, who's yep. maybe the most famous doctor in the country, just came out with a statement, I believe, if you may want to look it up, but uh, he said he encourages his his 
uh, all the people that he talks to to let the kids have a rest. You know, they're so overprepared and overdeveloped in their individual sports that they have these, you know, they they burn out. They either burn out mentally or their bodies burn out. And uh, I think it's like, you know, living down in South Florida, it's really nice down here because mm-hmm. it doesn't snow. <laughs> but my goodness, in the summertime, it, it can be pretty hot, you know, and every day uh, it, it's pretty it's pretty warm. So when I get a chance to travel and and get up and see a snowfall, you know, it reminds me of how cool that is or the changing season. You go up to New England, you know, when, when the leaves are in, in full in full change. And it's just it's some variety that adds a lot of texture to, to life. It's interesting when your son or daughter, either, of course, are coming up and, and you're a dad <laughs> and you're able to get on that same plane where you can teach the game a little bit, if, if that's how the dynamic was, and I know that can always be a double-edged sword, but did you find yourself relearning as well? Because there's everybody who goes out and says, yeah, it's great to play, but you really learn when you teach. I don't know how much you learn. Uh, uh, because what you're teaching is what you know, but what you do is reinforce. Okay. And there might be a little bit of a difference. Now, when you learn something, I think, is when somebody else points out something or you make a quantum leap. You know, if you get, to, I talk to people about golf all the time. You, you come to a fork in the road, and one fork goes one way and one fork goes another. Sometimes you pick the proper fork. Sometimes you pick the wrong fork, and you can make it work for a while, but the farther you get down that fork, the farther away you get from where you're supposed to be. So now you've got to bring yourself back. So, uh, you know, for example, as it pertains to my son, we'll, we've been working for a long time. He works with Jim Hardy, as do I. Uh, Jim's based in Houston, and, and Jim is very methodical in what he tells us. You know, this is what you need to do. This is so there's a direction. And it's so important to have a direction uh, because otherwise you're wandering in the, in the wilderness. Now, you know, I might make a suggestion to my son one day that he rejects because it's me making it to him, but then Tiger Woods is sitting on the range and he says, why don't you try this? And I go, Tiger, say that a little louder. <laughs> and, it, and it's exactly the same thing. But because it's coming from a different source, it has a different kind of value. Now, that's not to say that, oh, doesn't pay attention to what I'm telling him. That's to say that, you know, kids naturally want to put their own stamp on what they're doing. They want to have their own identity. And they can't be doing what their moms or dads are telling them all the time, right? right. So it just becomes one of those kinds of things where, more often than not, you got to step back and let things develop. And then, by the way, as they as they as they move away from you, trying to learn their own way, put their own fingerprint on things. Sometimes you'll find them coming back to to what you were originally working on because it actually does have value. But you got to be patient and recognize that people are people, and individuals have their own way of seeing stuff. It doesn't matter that that my son is my son; he's only half mine. My wife got the other half, and. <laughs> And so he's got his way of seeing and interpreting things. And that's the thing that I learn when I work with him is that, is that I can't put my fingerprint on his swing. Yeah. I can give him what I can give him, but he's got to make it his own. And I think that's the case for everybody. Is it, is it common, you just mentioned it could be Tiger, it could be anybody really. Is it common that uh, one will give tips or say, hey, uh, taking a look at your swing there on the professional tour? Or is that uncommon when you mention Tiger? No, it's very, yeah. very common. Is it? Uh, yeah, listen, we're all in this, there's a lot of respect in this game, and if respect is offered, then then there's, you know, there's common ground, and, and there can be, you know, a meeting of the minds, and it's when there's a lack of respect that's presented that people close off, and I think that's the case with pretty much everything. I mean, 
you know, uh, VJ Singh, a notorious uh, ball beater, and just works his tail off on the range. I remember one time having a question about something. I approached him while he was in the middle of a session. BJ, do you mind if I ask you a question? He said, absolutely. And I asked him the question, and he spent 40 minutes talking to me about it, watching me hit some shots and so forth. And you see that up and down the driving range. You know, I've, I've, uh, uh, I've had the opportunity to ask, and I've been asked. And, you know, it's our obligation in this game because nobody has invented uh, anything new. You know, and if anybody tells you they've discovered the secret, turn it off because <laughs> there is no secret. Nobody's invented a new mousetrap. There is no such thing in this game. And, and the same things that, that bring players success in 2014 were the things that Bobby Jones was doing in 1929, 1930. You know, the same things that, that, uh, you know, that Jack Nicholas did in, in the sixties and the seventies were this, they weren't necessarily palpably the exact same thing, but, but they, what they are is nobody, nobody has invented a better way of doing anything. And so we have an obligation, I think, in this game, and it's a great game, and it's kind of like a, it's a, it's a brotherhood uh, of passing along that information. And the great shame of this particular sport is that a lot of the great stuff from the Byron Nelsons and the Ben Hogans and the Bobby Joneses and the Gene Sarazens and the Jimmy Demerits and people like this, if people follow golf, they'll recognize those names, mm-hmm. is that a lot of the stuff that people learned from them weren't put into books or weren't on video, certainly, because, you know, a lot of them, it wasn't that sophisticated uh, uh, video. And so we've we've lost that forever. Right. And so... Nowadays, there's going to be a lot more information passed along that people 50 years from now will be able to, to reference and say, well, look, so-and-so, David Ledbetter was saying this about Ernie Els, or Hank Haney was saying that about Tiger Woods, or Butch Harmon was saying that about this or that about Phil Mickelson, and, and you'll be able to look back 50 years from now to now, and that stuff will be on record. And a lot of the stuff from 50 years ago isn't. And so, so that's something that I'd look on kind of wistfully. Tony Pennant was a great friend of mine, and I asked him a number of times when he was working with me if we could record it, and he said, no, what the hell do we need that for? You know? <laughs> well, there, there's the reason why. Yeah, oh, it's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's, you know, the outsider may not see that as, as much or at all if you're just getting that blink shot. So thanks for sharing that, Olin. That's, that's pretty good insight there uh, to the game. Now, Along the way, it's sports, so we already know there's the ups, there's the downs, and the, the challenges and the successes. Do you remember a time when, I guess it would be, I call it taking that time out, when you, you, you in baseball, we call it a, a, a slump, right? We're in a slump, and, and I don't even love that word, cause, but that's just the word that's been given to the sport, so everybody can identify with it. In golf, I've heard the same terminology. I'm not a golfer, Owen, so I can only relate by watching and listening to others, but has there been that time in your career where you've kind of been in that more challenging mode as opposed to success mode? And then how did you come out of it? What did you feel uh, was, your, was your success to, to get out of that? It happens all the time. You know, you, you, if you look at anybody's career, with the exception of, let's say, Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus, right? You look at anybody's career, they have moments where they play well and moments where they play poorly, right? But the bulk of the... Bulk of the if you look at somebody's career, I mean, Phil Mickelson, let's say he's won 40 times in his career, right? But he's probably played 500 tournaments, so he's less than a 10% clip, right? So that means 90 plus percent by any 
athlete's definition is is lived in failure, right? Right. And uh, you know, Tiger's a freak. He's one at a twenty-some percent clip, and it's the winningest uh, uh, rate of anybody I can even think of. And so, you, you have those kinds of moments all the time. But you know, the people who achieve success at anything are just more resilient than other people. There are worlds full of quitters, mm-hmm. um, and and so the people who who succeed, they don't. They don't suffer any less when they're not doing what they're doing well. They just are able to move past it or understand that it's part of a cycle or deal with it uh, and not have it drag them to the bottom of the lake, right? Yeah. Um, And I don't, you know, my own personal experiences, I mean, look, I I won a handful of times in my career and... uh, um, you know, we were just talking about it in the shop with a friend of mine here. Uh, when I won the United States Senior Open, I led wire to wire. And I, millions of people have asked me, was that fun? And I go, the first three days were great. The fourth day was miserable. <laughs> you know, because I got nowhere to go. I'm leading wire to wire. I have not given up a lead from the first hole that I played the whole week. Well, if you don't win the tournament, you're a bonehead, mm. right? And so Sunday has a whole different feeling and flavor, and it gets more difficult. And so, you, you know, I had been leading the U.S. Open at Pinehurst the year that Michael Campbell won, played with Retief Goosen on Saturday, was two back going into Sunday, shut an 80, right? Well, I'm, I'm standing next to Michael Campbell after he made his putt on the 72nd green. He's the United States Open champion. If I had played the round he had played, I'd have been the United States Open champion, right? right. Well, that's a miserable experience to go through. Yeah. But having done that and moved through it, I was able to lead the entire tournament at Inverness when I won in 2011. Without what I did at Pinehurst, I wouldn't have had the benefit of that growth, uh, and, and I wouldn't have won it. So, you know, nothing's permanent, and that's why you know, Vic, the, the same by the same token, when you win a tournament, everybody pats you on the back for years and years and years. Well, it's over about an hour after after you've won. You know, you get a bunch of congratulatory phone calls and some letters and stuff like that. If you're playing the next week, you're on to the next tournament, and you've got to take on the field again. So, you know, d- don't get too stuck. Don't get too caught up with with, uh, with what you've already done and keep moving forward and look forward to what you can get done the next week or the next month or the next year or even past that. Yeah, it's a great way of putting it. You mentioned before that your, your coach down in Houston said that he gives both your son and you direction. Uh, what, what does that mean to the common man? Well, I think, look, there are uh, – there are certain fundamentals in, in any sport, okay? There are certain fundamentals in, in practicing law and litigating. And, and then everybody applies those fundamentals in their own way. So direction means, uh, as an instructor, he looks at me and he teaches me one way and he looks at my son and teaches him in another way. Now, he's trying to get us to the same place, but, but my son is three inches taller than I am and more flexible and generates a heck of a lot more speed and and so he's going to play a whole different kind of style of game than, than I would. But the direction is constant. And it doesn't matter what the direction is. It just matters that it is constant. So anytime you're trying to get from point A to point B, you get in a car, you get on the highway, you go from exit 1 to exit 10, right? Mm-hmm. As long as you stay between the lines on the highway, you're going to make it. You get outside the lines, you're going to crash, and you're done, right? Yeah. So, you know, the important thing isn't necessarily – you match up what your skill set is with the knowledge that an individual imparts. 
and then you work within the context of that, and you keep moving in a direction. And so when I say he gives us direction, I mean we're at a, we're at a point here, and we want to get to a point there. And the whole secret to success is to maintain your, your, your eyes on the end point. And, and that's what I mean by direction. Yeah, no, thank you for, for sharing that. There is, uh, yeah, direction is key, especially in a sport that it's, I mean, you said you have your, you're basically the, the, the folks in the field, of course, they'll help you. You have a coach, you have a caddy, maybe somebody who works out with you or is a trainer, but I mean, it's a, it's a pretty small team, correct? If we're comparing it to other yep. sports. Yeah. Can yeah. Be, be a little well, it's lonely. an individual game. It's an individual game. You know, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're entirely in charge and, and you get exactly out of it what you put into it so yeah. if if you want to if you want to uh play half-baked golf then you can give a half-baked effort and if you want to play great golf then you can you can accept all the responsibilities uh of the things that you need to do and improve upon and and you can move forward on that basis but the bottom line is, is that anybody who's played for 25 or 30 years has had really of on a percentage basis, it's such a small percentage of people who last that long, because if you can't if you can't post the numbers and you can't perform to a certain level, you're out. You know, it's that simple. There's there's room for X number of people, and you either finish inside that number or outside that number. And if you're outside that number, you're moving on to something else. And that's kind of the way of the world, right? Totally is completely. Now we we all see everybody playing on the field. We see at the tournaments on TV, if I were to take the, the game away for a few minutes, and I know that's hypothetical, but behind the scenes, what, what's so important? What are the lessons that you're learning from friendships, from experiences that aren't necessarily taking place in the public eye? Uh, it's a complicated question. Isn't yeah. it? It's a good question though. Uh, I would say I've, uh, the experiences that I've had being a part of, this game have been extraordinary and the friendships that that you make uh everybody's while it's a you know the runs the entire gamut of personalities um you know we're all essentially the same person in that everybody who who plays this game is kind of self-motivated uh you know to a level of success right it's self-motivated you, you you know there are, there are some athletes that you look at and got it. If only if only that guy cared more, he could have been the greatest of all time. You know what I mean? You hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. And you you don't see that in golf because if a guy isn't motivated, then he's out and you've never heard of him. And so um, I think that's a that's a common characteristic in, in golfers. We're all approach the game differently but with the same intent and so you get you get guys who uh maybe you know while while some guys do it by the numbers uh and are very technical and want their swings to be perfect then other guys are more natural and are willing to they they don't care what their swings look like as long as they get the results. And the, the bottom line is that we're each trying to find a way to accomplish the same thing. Yep. And so I, I think there's a there's a kind of a self reliance or and a resilience and uh, a determination that's a common theme throughout all golfers at at, uh, at the highest levels. And and there's a respect that's attendant to that that um, players respect the amount of effort 
the time and the energy that it takes to achieve success. I, I look at Tiger Woods and I'm just absolutely blown away. Think about it like this, in the context of, of his entire career. All right? he, he came on tour in 1996 at the end of the year, so he has played 19 years. Okay, And he's been injured most of this year. Uh, so let's just take an 18-year career. That's essentially a generation in any sport, right? If you have an 18-year career, 18 year career in baseball, you're going to head in the Hall of Fame because, yeah. by definition, you've played well enough to stay in the game. You know what I'm saying? If you have had an 18-year career in football, you're a freak. Yep. <laughs> and, so, and so if you look at, at careers in that context, um, you, you, get, uh, you, you get a picture of the individual. So for the 18 years that Tiger's been on tour, um, he has been the guy to beat in the field every single week except for this year and except for the first couple of tournaments that he played. After, after he, he won twice in like six times after he won his third consecutive U.S. Amateur in 1996 and became the best player on the tour in a month. Right. Okay, and from that time until he had his back surgery this year, he has been, with the exception of a couple of weeks and other injured periods, he has been the guy to beat every single week. Now, you talk about the other guys who have achieved number one in the world in that, in that period, and it's fleeting. you got guys like Lee Westwood, great player. Martin Keimer, great player. Rory McIlroy, young and a great player. And by the way, of all the people in the last 20 years who played the tour, Rory has won more major championships before his 25th, your 26th birthday than anybody else other than Tiger. Wow. So it just puts into context how great a player he truly is. And, you know, you can like Tiger or not like Tiger, but you better respect what he's accomplished because it's generational and it doesn't have – and people ask me all the time, when's the next Tiger Woods? I said, we haven't heard of him yet <laughs> because, because it happens. Now that his career is 20 years in, now we can start looking for the next great guy. It may be Rory McIlroy, but it's – it's happened just recently, right? right? It's not any of the other guys that you've heard up until now. So the idea that somebody could be at the pinnacle of the game for that long, it doesn't happen in any other sport. It doesn't happen in tennis. doesn't happen in football. I mean, Tom Brady's been a great player, but it's been debatable whether he's the number one guy every single year. There's Peyton Manning and there's Drew Brees and True. there's Aaron Rodgers and people like that. And so to, for Tiger Woods to be that dominant and to win at a 25% clip or whatever it is and to be, listen, we're six years removed from his last major championship. He's 38 years old now. When he was 32nd, 32 years old, he had won his 14th, and we were thinking 25, mm. and then he got injured. You know, So I, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but, no, but the point that I'm trying to make yeah. is, is, that, is that the people that you meet and to be, to be in an era and in the thick of it playing against and with in, in arguably the greatest player of his generation and in the conversation with one of just another guy, which is Jack Nicklaus, as the greatest player who's ever lived, is incredible. And so those are some of the experiences that I take out of this game that I hold so so close to my heart. Yeah, uh, It's just it's a phenomenal thing. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like somebody who, I mean, on, on a different scale, obviously it's a world stage or whatever, but, you know, Winston Churchill saved the world. Now, you could argue with his politics all you want, but without him, we're all speaking another language. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it, or FDR or whatever. We're talking about the pinnacle of the pinnacle, you know, and, and I mean, it's a huge leap to go from golf to, to, to that kind of thing. But the point that I'm trying to make is, is that you don't see those exceptional people but once a generation, and it's very, very rare. Yeah. 
No, it, I think it's a great answer. I, uh, it was well said. I, I appreciate the, the lengthy answer, actually. And, and listen, I got to give credit to you, of course. I mean, you've been on tour for so long and still have the energy and still out there, like you said earlier, sweating in 97 degrees just to continue to get better and have that passion. So I, I think you probably also have the same effect on others that are coming up the ranks and, and those are of your peers around you. So I just wanted to point that out as well. And as a, sound like a very humble person. Um, well, well, thanks, man. Uh, you yeah. know, that, uh, we, we all, we, I think we all embrace that as part of our, of our culture. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's a very rewarding thing to have somebody come up and say, you know what, uh, uh, I admire what you're trying to do. Is there any way that you could help me try and learn that? And, and, you know, the answer immediately is absolutely. You know, what can I do? And so that's one of the great traits of this great game of golf. And it's happened historically from, from the beginning of the game. And it will continue to, to happen that way just because of the nature of the game and what it extracts uh, from individuals, people yeah. are willing to share that kind of stuff, and I, I think it's it really defines what a great game it is. It really is. And even your time today coming on is is very very important for all those out there listening. So, thank you. Heading into overtime, Owen, and I'm gonna let you get back out there and uh, continue your practice, getting ready for that next event. But got to ask a question here. We always talk about roles in sports. Now, what's what's the true role for those of us who may not be day to day followers or fans or have played the game? of the caddy <laughs> the caddy is it's critical i mean the caddy and the player are out there for four or five hours in the heat of it trying to get the job done and the caddy's primary uh obligation is to is to accumulate and distribute information and then work with his player to whatever level the player and the caddy find comfortable to execute a plan and the plan is uh, as as comprehensive as the outcome and as simple as the immediate shot so you know when I say the outcome I mean you know the net result is is that you're going to shoot a score for that day and so the master plan is what you're going to shoot that day but but the immediate information and and uh, and contribution is how, how do we execute this very next shot to the best of our abilities to give ourselves the opportunity to hit the next best shot. So okay. uh, the caddy is critical. Uh, personalities have to have to work together. Uh, you know, if players and caddies start getting on one another's nerves, well, that's not going to last very long. <laughs> it's a little bit like, uh, you know, it's a little bit like a, a marriage in, in, the, in the context that, uh, you know, you, 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 work out, you work out things and you move on, but you're spending a lot of time together. Uh, trying to accomplish uh, a similar goal. So it takes a lot of effort. And uh, that's why when you see, for example, Bones Mackay and Phil Mickelson, those guys work together and have worked together just as you see every day on TV since the day that, that Phil stepped on the PGA Tour and wildly successfully. And it's not accidental that, that they're still together. It's a, it's a very functional, very productive uh, relationship that has that has uh, made both of them very successful in their fields. Yeah, have you had more than one caddy in your career? I've had uh, multiple caddies. Uh, I tend to stay with them for a reasonable length of time as well. Mm -hmm. uh, guys, on average, have worked for me for five or six years, and my most recent caddy is in, in his fourteenth year with me. So, oh wow! Uh, you know what I need, I get from him, uh, and and we, 
work on that on that basis. And you know, he's getting a little long in the tooth, so <laughs> he may be moving on. But you know, right. when that time comes, I'll deal with it. Yeah, and, of course. <laughs> uh, until then, it's you know, it's it's we go we go and and prepare every day the same way, and we work together and we work towards a common goal. Yeah, a crazy question here, but I mean, if you if you're in the process of getting a new caddy, do you is that an interview process? Is that look? Let's look at the resume, or do you know the people that are out there that are? How does that work? Yeah, well, I think it it varies from player to player. I mean, you know, uh, uh, sometimes uh, sometimes caddies and players have broken up and the caddy moves on and achieves success or, or maybe not and then sometimes comes back full circle and works for his uh, original boss again mm-hmm. and sometimes uh it, you know there's an interview process and sometimes there's a word of mouth um you know knowing me for example i would say to some other player do you know who's available who might you know do a good job for me and things that i need and i might get a recommendation that way and and then go and talk to that guy, and then there'll be maybe a trial period, and and, uh, and and if if you've achieved some success, you might offer the guy a more permanent role or whatever. I think it varies weekly. And then there's some guys, some guys who don't want to rely on the caddy, and then they have the musical caddy thing going. So yep. I think it has a lot to do with your personality and what you need out of a caddy. Some guys like to be led around by the hand. Some guys like to run the show. Um, it just depends. And what you have to do is find the symbiosis that's functional that that uh, that you know, offers the best chance for success. Yeah, no, that's a, that's good. Good insight there. Any superstitions on the golf course for you? No, I wouldn't say it's a superstition, but I always mark my ball heads up okay. with the coin, and that's only because occasionally we have to move the ball. Yeah. Uh, you know, to because the coin would be in the in another player's line, and so when I move my coin, I always flip it to tails up, because you know I've gotten to that stage in life where where my brain doesn't function as well as it should have. And sometimes you forget. In <laughs> fact, I saw a guy lose a tournament because he moved his coin really? and forgot to, in fact, I could, I can cite two cases where it happened and didn't move it back. And the penalty is two shots. And if you have a three shot lead, you're okay. If it's, if you have a two shot lead, you're in a playoff. And if you have a one shot lead, you've just lost by one. Uh, so I, I, I always mark my, my ball heads up so that when I move my coin, I, I I've known, I, I, I can remember I moved it. But other than that, no superstitions. Now, you've been playing a long time, and that's a compliment, of course. Anything that's happened on the course where you go, I just didn't know that rule? Oh, it happens all the time. Really? The rules of, the rules of golf are crazy. Yeah. Oh, sh- what was, what, can you share a, a, one of those momentous ones? Uh, well, there's, there's stuff that happens all the time that people people have done, and you didn't realize it was the case until it's been brought to your attention because an official comes over and and uh, makes a, a call, and you go, really? I never knew that. And part of that is is due to the obscurity of some of the regs, and and part of that is due to the fact that they change on a regular basis. And so um, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was playing at qualifying school years and years and years ago, and about a month before the qualifier, I had been playing with a tournament, and a guy had dropped his had dropped taken penalty drop. His ball had crossed the hazard. And when it's a red line hazard, what you do is take two club lengths no nearer the hole is one of your options. You can keep the point between you and the hole and move back as far as you want is another option. And you can take a drop on the other side of the hazard that's equidistant to the hole. Well, that's a lot of mumbo-jumbo. But anyway, <laughs> the point is that this guy took relief. Right. He took the two club length relief. 
And in taking the relief, what you, you have to take full relief. You could drop it anywhere within the two club links. But in this particular case, the only thing uh, that that would cause the need for relief is not your stance, but your ball itself. When he dropped the ball, his feet would have still been in the hazard to execute his next shot. And he mistakenly assumed that because his feet were in the hazard that he had to redrop. Well, the official came over and made the ruling, and the guy got a penalty shot for picking up his ball again, right? Well, at qualifying school, I watched the same thing happen. And, and when the guy went down and picked up his ball again, I said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I took relief, but, but my ball was clean, but my feet were still in the hazard. I said, once your ball's out of the hazard, it's in play. And he said, well, I just did it because that guy over there did it yesterday. Mm. So then we had to call an official, and the official came out. And because the guy had signed his court card from yesterday, he had to, he had to be disqualified. And so those kinds of things happen all the time. Wow. And some of the rules are are kind of obscure enough. They don't have you know those infractions don't happen all that frequently. That that when they do happen, uh, it causes everyone a lot of consternation. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. All right. I've been waiting to ask a professional golfer this question for probably my entire adult life here. If you had been born into a culture where people were allowed to make a lot of noise on the golf course, especially when you're swinging. Like it was just part of any other sport that you played, team sport. Do you think it would change the game? No. Here's the deal. If you have two people behind a green and they're doing jumping jacks right in your line, yeah. it's a distraction. If you have 20,000 people all yelling, screaming, and doing jumping jacks, it all blends together. Huh. So, so it's the it's the thing that's outside of the norm that's the distraction or the so if if you got if you got one guy in the middle of your black backswing waits till you get to the top of your swing and blows a foghorn that's going to make you flinch but if the foghorn's already blowing and there are, there are ten thousand people blowing it it doesn't matter a lick <laughs> do you ever wish sometimes it was just that way <laughs> sometimes it is sometimes it, it isn't you yeah. know. Yeah, it's just funny that way, you know. I mean, it's like it's like you could have, you could have. Well, we're having a conversation, right? right. You and I, yeah. the two of us, having this conversation right now. If there were twenty thousand people all conversing at the same time, it would all sound like a hum. Yeah, it'd be a background noise. True, true. So <laughs> that's great. All right, last couple of questions here. Favorite book? A book that you have in your back pocket? I'm going back to this English class again, uh, but one that you recommend just over your years that you really like to read. You know what? I, I don't read books again unless I've forgotten that I've read it buying one in the in the airport. <laughs> <laughs> we won't share that with the troops back home. <laughs> but I love I love uh, I love escapism books. So I read all the Ludlum stuff and the Daniel Silva and Baldwin and all that kind of junk. It's, listen, when you're traveling on airplanes as much as I am, you got to have something to pass the time. There are two things you can do. Actually, three things. You can watch a movie. You can talk to the person next to you. You can read a book. So <laughs> I, I read a lot. I read a lot of books, and most of it's junk. Well, that's all right. How about a favorite sports movie? Favorite sports movie. Wow, that's a really good one because they're bit. I don't know Tin Cup is a riot. Yeah, Caddyshack is a lot of people's favorite. Uh, um, Rudy was a great movie. I yeah. thought it was a great movie about about a lot of the things that we've been talking about today, about a kid who just wouldn't accept no as an answer. Yeah. Uh, and not, I'm not a Notre Dame fan, by the way. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time with Lou Holtz at the Ryder Cup in 2008. Oh, okay. And he's a great man. And Coach Kelly is a member down here, and we've had a chance to, to converse. But 
But the truth is, is that, you know, Rudy, and of course, I think the first sports movie that I ever saw that really had an impact was Brian's song mm. uh, about the great Gale Sayers and Brian Piccolo, and that was a great movie. So there are a couple right there that, that have impacted me. Yeah, no, great, great movies. Uh, foundation, anything along the way, charity or foundation that you've started or one that you support? Oh, yeah. Folds of the Bonner, Major Dan Rooney, what he does for the troops. Uh, you know, it's there's been a lot of news about what's happening with the VA these days. It's absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. Uh, you send you send young men and women into harm's way away from us, uh, representing our country and protecting us, and and then we treat them like that. It's just it's shameful. And so what he's done is just absolutely extraordinary. Uh, I've done some stuff with ALS. I had a good friend Jeff Julian who passed away a number of years ago from it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, then you know the nature of golf is that we participate in this kind of stuff all the time. So if a player has a particular charity or foundation and asks for participation, we all jump on it. And we all do it. So there's a lot of that going on out here. It's the fabric of of the PGA Tour, and it's what we do best. It's great to hear. Well, we're going to end off on a great note here. I'm going to ask this one for your son because it is part of our show, and I've heard you reference a lot of baseball already on this show. But if I put you in a major league baseball uniform on and I put you up to bat against a major league pitcher, there is that walk up song that's played as you walk to the plate. What is that song playing for you? God, it's got to be something from Stevie Ray Vaughan. Something loud with a lot of bass. <laughs> Pick <go>. anything. <laughs> there we go well i'm sure we could do that owen thank you so much for your time today incredible incredible interview i really enjoyed it it's great to get these insights behind the scenes in golf and really love your attitude and and what you share with us as uh, parents as athletes as coaches and just plain old fans of the sport so thank you for your time and all the best for the rest of the summer here on the tour it's great to talk to you, man. I really appreciate you inviting me. I'm glad we were able to work this out, and I look forward to doing it again sometime. Until next time, who are you, nation? 